protein. You know, that's also, um, you know, when we get to B12 and iron, especially in children and, and, and women of child-rearing age, there's some nuance. Protein is, you, it's in, if you eat enough calories in, in, in the West, in any well-off country where, where people aren't in general, except for some sad situations, or somebody with a chronic illness, but, but other people are otherwise healthy, eating enough calories, um, you can't become protein deficient. It's, and so, you know, I still from physician colleagues, you know, who I, who I have great respect for, every once in a while, you know, get this, uh, you know, where do you get your protein from? So, you know, if you say to, and this is a conversation easier to have with physicians that care for adults than kids, because with kids you don't see the, the, um, um, the bad effects as, as quickly, but uh, so if you ask a, a physician that cares for adults, so how many patients have you ever cared for that have protein deficiency? And the answer is always zero. It Welcome to the Eat Green, Make Green podcast. I'm your host, Pat McCauley. This podcast is all about celebrating the lives of those who have adopted a plant-based or vegan lifestyle and how it has positively impacted their health, relationships, outlook on life, and so much more. For more episodes and information about the benefits of living a plant-based or vegan lifestyle, visit eatgreenmakegreen.com. What's up, everybody? On this week's episode, I sit down with an amazing guy named Alan Kornberg. Alan has this super impressive uh, career resume. Uh, he practiced for years as a physician, um, has had various executive roles um, in the healthcare industry, and most recently and currently uh, serves as chair for two animal protection agencies. Uh, one is called the uh, the Global Federation of Animal Sanctuaries, which provides funds, support, and accreditation to animal sanctuaries around the world. Uh, the other one is called Animal Defense Partnership, which provides pro bono legal work for animal protection agencies. Uh, I was fortunate to connect with Alan uh, a few months back at the Farm Sanctuary uh, 5K event here in Boston. Uh, Farm Sanctuary is actually a, another organization that Alan was previously executive director of, uh, so add that one to his um, impressive uh, resume there. Um, we talk about uh, everything from uh, Alan growing up in Brooklyn uh, as a typical American meat-eating kid in a time when vegetarian and, and certainly veganism was not even on anyone's radar whatsoever. Uh, we talk about why he chose to become vegetarian and most recently uh, adopting a, a totally uh, vegan lifestyle, which he has uh, done so for, for many years. Uh, we talk from a health standpoint about the enormous benefits of a plant-based diet. Uh, we address, uh, you know, specifically with his uh, background as a doctor, we, we address kind of all the things that uh, people think they might be deficient in when adopting a plant-based diet, from B12 to protein to uh, iron. Um, we talk about the notion that, uh, in the belief that you need cow's milk and animal protein to be strong and healthy, and, and uh, why that is just simply wrong, or in Alan's words, BS. Uh, the lack of nutritional education given to doctors both when Alan was going through um, school and, and even today. Uh, the future of food and medicine and um, Alan's belief on 
how, uh, you know, we'll look back, um, you know, years from now and say, wow, I can't believe, you know, we used to treat animals like that and, and, and kill so many animals on such a large scale for food. Um, and we also talk about uh, Alan's future plans for a nonprofit focused on uh, plant-based diets and children, uh, which I just think is super cool and uh, so, so needed. Um, but uh, Alan is just an amazing guy. Uh, he has this really cool combination of uh, being very positive and, and upbeat, uh, but also being very pragmatic. Uh, I think that's kind of uh, the, the combination of being both, um, you know, a, a vegan for the animals, but also having the, the medical background. Um, so he just has a really cool combination um, in, in, a, in a very approachable way of kind of discussing uh, the topics around health, um, you know, animal welfare and the environment and all the things that kind of come with veganism. Uh, this episode is just full of incredible um, uh, insights that I hope you guys can can pull some value from. So uh, without further ado, um, the awesome uh, Alan Kornberg. All right, I'm with Alan Kornberg here. Thanks for coming down. We're, uh, we're sitting here in uh, Quincy, Mass., in what uh, will be a plant-based restaurant here on the South Shore. Um, and, Alan, you're coming up from uh, Duxbury. Yeah, no, delighted to be here, coming up from uh, Duxbury, Mass., and uh, looking forward in the spring to being, uh, being a customer here at the, uh, the Plant and uh, Bear Gardens. So it's great. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, uh, so you, uh, Alan, for the people listening, Alan, your your official title is is chair, chairman. So I'm chair of the, the two animal protection boards, the yep. Global Federation of Animal Sanctuaries and the Animal Defense Partnership. Awesome. Those are those are my current two official gigs. Yeah. And we connected. Uh, we did the uh, Farm Sanctuary 5K, Plant Powered 5K, um, in the in the Boston area. What was it? Maybe six weeks ago now. Yeah, I think it was in September. At, yes, around six weeks ago, and it was fun for me. It was nice to do a be part of a little fundraiser for Farm Sanctuary. I had been uh, on the board of Farm Sanctuary and executive director there uh, a number of years ago, so I feel uh, you know a connection to the cause, of course, but also to that organization which does great work. So it was it was also fun. Uh, there was a couple of volunteers uh, um, at the at the walk or the run um, who had uh, remembered me from my Farm Sanctuary days. So it was nice to say Very hello cool. and that sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. Nice. So for uh, the listeners and for myself, um, if you don't mind, let's let's take it back and get a little background on you. Kind of, uh, we can get into everything from uh, food growing up to life growing up to uh, you name it. Um, I'll, I'll let you take it. All right, my life story, huh? Oh my God! So uh, you know, it was a total total non sequitur. But it reminds me of when I was applying to medical school. So you have all these interviews, and they were usually straightforward sorts of things, but. When I, when I was interviewing at, at Harvard Medical School, which I did not get into, and that surprisingly, I was sitting in this huge library at Countway, the medical school library. It's an old, old conference room, very austere, very senior professor at the head of the table. And he turned on, back then, just an old-fashioned tape recorder, and said, tell me about your life, and sat back and let me go on for 45 minutes. And I was, I was freaked out. <laughs> All right, is that, that, is that a warning that the next to, 45 minutes to, are taken? Total warning. So I will try not to give a speech. But and of course, that was, uh, that was not my most, but I wasn't expecting to get in there. So, uh, so yeah, so I, I won't go too much into my, my really early days, but I uh, grew up in Brooklyn, was a, you know, a kid in Brooklyn, a mom and dad and a, a younger sister. And, uh, 
you know, and there was n nothing like uh, um, veg diets as part of the, the landscape then. At 12, my sister became vegetarian. She's vegan now as well, but she became vegetarian when uh, she was a teenager. I'm three years older, and, uh, you know, being the typical uh, jerk older brother, I used to hassle her about that from time to time, which I uh, still feel a little bit badly about, mm. but, uh, but I have I have progressed. So, uh, so that was my uh, sort of early days in, in Brooklyn, and then, uh, you know, it was college and med school and residency and pediatrics and that all, you know, entailed moving around the country. Well, college was, you know, it was at MIT and, you know, in Cambridge, Mass. And uh, back to New York City for med school at Sinai and uh, did my residency in pediatrics at the Children's Hospital of Buffalo. And uh, uh, none of that was particularly focused on, you know, I didn't really have a, a consciousness about being plant-based. Uh, yeah. And what was kind of... Uh... What was kind of the plan at that point in time in terms of career, and uh, what was kind of your personal life like, uh, food-wise at that time, and personally, and all that? Yeah, so so I mean, I was you know I trained in pediatrics, did did a residency, was thinking about going into a pediatric subspecialty, ended up doing pediatric primary care, and uh, and started that with a, a colleague uh, um, in Buffalo, New York, who's still uh, still doing the same. Uh, practice and uh, all these years and as a you know dear friend of mine and so that was well in Buffalo stayed in Buffalo uh, 16 years you know met my wife we had our son there um, and um, and so you know until um, um, somewhat later you know I was you know just sort of a meat and potatoes kind of guy Buffalo's a very that sort of town you know yeah, chicken wings yeah. and all that and 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 you know and and uh, so at, at some point uh, uh, before we left Buffalo uh, earlier uh, late 20s, early 30s, someplace around then, I became vegetarian. And for, uh, for me, that was all about um, um, ethical choice. I mean, you know, there's there clearly are health benefits. And being a doc, I know something about that. But I, you know, I didn't really choose it for health reasons. I chose it for ethical compassion reasons. And, uh, um, you know, and from time to time would bring that to attention of patients, really parents mostly in, in, in pediatrics. But but I wouldn't proselytize because it wasn't you know people aren't coming to you for that reason. Yeah, yeah. Um, so but that's so I became veg you know a whole bunch of years ago and uh, um, and, and and then uh, you know, I can go through more of my life story if you want to. Uh, yeah, no, that'd be great. Be, so be yeah, bored, so but, you're but, you're uh, practicing as a doctor eventually, uh -huh. right? Yeah. So I so I was uh, um, practicing uh, you know uh, you know old fashioned uh, still exists uh, you know private practice of pediatrics in Buffalo, New York with a. Friend and colleague, we were actually in Orchard Park, New York, where the Bills play. You know, I was in Buffalo when the Bills were uh, never quite won the Super Bowl, but yeah. were in uh, four in a row. So Buffalo during, fan, you know, a, a Buffalo fan. But you know, all these years in New England, it's hard in Brady and so on. It's hard not to yeah. feel something <laughs> towards the Pats too. So uh, you know, and I, uh, so you know, if you say to somebody you're a, a Bills and a Patriots fan, they look at you like you're weird because you can't really. <laughs> so, but I, I do have a soft spot for yeah. the for the Bills. I I, I do and. Uh, so while I was doing primary care pediatrics, I was working part-time in the uh, emergency department at the Children's Hospital here as well, you know, in the days when there wasn't really a full-time um, sort of senior emergency medicine faculty. And uh, long story very short, I left practice and became a uh, uh, full-time faculty at the medical school in Buffalo and chief of emergency medicine, um, you know, at the Children's Hospital. I was running the Children's ER, which was, uh, you know, demanding uh, and very different kind of pediatrics practice and, and also did a... Uh, a bunch of work in pediatric poisonings, toxicology, and in child abuse and neglect work. Um, it was also areas of focus for uh, me back then. Mm. So, yeah. So, back to kind of the the vegetarian transition. Yeah. There, w what was the spark? I mean, what kind of information did you 
perceive that you know you you wanted to kind of make that choice yeah you know it was some some people it was you know a moment in time you know an event happened for me it was really evolutionary i mean i knew that i i, I knew that animals in you know in agriculture suffer and uh, you know of course i know how, how horribly they suffer now and and so i um evolved to a place where I didn't want to be eating animals anymore. I didn't want to be contributing to, to that suffering. And, and it also was a, a part of me, and it wasn't kind of a super deep spiritual part, but a part of me that didn't want to have all that inside my body also um, yeah. was, was there as well. And uh, um, so, you know, so it was one, uh, it was one day uh, uh, early in uh, my marriage, and it was the, uh, you know, we were having Thanksgiving dinner, and that was my... Uh, the last day that I uh, I ate meat it was over 30 years ago, and uh, <laughs> uh, and said, from, you know, tomorrow forward, um, you know, it's it's uh, vegetarian for me, and uh, and it, it's been. Um, I um, was wasn't until a number of years uh, later that I became vegan. Um, so I was, you know, still having having dairy, and uh, I never liked eggs, but would eat, eat food with uh, eggs, uh, you know, in them. And uh, I was actually uh, jumping way ahead career-wise, but I. Was uh, working as a as a healthcare exec, uh, um, actually in Cambridge, Mass. So I was out of Buffalo and uh, knew that I should be vegan for ethical reasons and, and hadn't. And uh, one of my colleagues in this uh, Medicaid uh, health plan, health plan for the poor, uh, um, she uh, she called me out one day and she she's vegan and she said, uh, "So why aren't you vegan?" <laughs> so I didn't have a good answer. So I the next day I became vegan. And uh, yeah. so that so, so that was the little catalyzing. Yeah. I have to give her credit. So yeah. How how hard was that? That transition. I mean, I know you're already vegetarian, but I guess both transitions, you know, of, of course, a lot of people find that, you know, going vegetarian or vegan is extreme or hard to do or hard to stick with. I mean, how hard was it for you? So going and this veg is, And this is years ago, right? Yes. Yeah, so it's much easier now. No, it's, so. re it's real easy now. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is, you know, so I mean, going vegetarian from being omnivorous or carnivorous, that was, that was easy. Mm. That was because, you know, both, you know, buying food at home and uh, restaurants, you could always get something veg pretty easily. And, yeah. and uh, you know, I wasn't somebody, at least then, and even now, who wanted to call attention to myself when I'd be out with friends. So veg was easy. Um, but going vegan was, took some effort. So this would have been, I don't know, 16, 17 years ago. So, you know, it wasn't, I know when I've, like when I worked at Farm Sanctuary, uh, which is jumping way ahead, but, uh, you know, I, when I met some of the real oldie-timey folks in, who've been vegan, you know, since the 70s, since the beginning of time sort of thing, they would talk about when they would drink, you know, almond milk, they would, like, buy almonds and they would make almond milk. Yeah. You know, however <laughs> yeah. you do I have no idea how you do that. Yeah, convenient. Um, yeah. So, uh, so it was never that hard for me. But when I became vegan, it took probably a few months um, in um, – you know, so just going to the supermarket to sort of get my routine down. You know, I'm looking at a lot of labels, and and um, um, so you know that was some effort. You know, sort of have balanced meals, all that sort of thing. wasn't super hard, but some effort. And, and going out, you know, took some some energy. And even to this day, there's you know occasional restaurants where it's it's really easy nowadays. But uh, there's occasional restaurants where it's uh, a little bit hard. Um, but uh, you know, probably the first three to six months of becoming vegan was. Uh, was somewhat challenging, um, not the most difficult thing in the world, but somewhat challenging. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. So you hinted at you eventually leave the the, the doctor uh, profession. Yeah. So so I, I you know I have some uh, you know as a pediatrician I can probably use uh, you know the analogy of having some professional uh, ADD or uh, professional attention deficit disorder, <laughs> and so I've had a bunch of jobs and really have had a, really three 
core careers, you know, with several subheadings in each of them. So I went from practicing medicine, both primary care and emergency pediatrics in a medical school, to, um, uh, to being a healthcare manager, healthcare exec. I got an MBA. We're living in Buffalo. I got an MBA in Rochester, uh, New York, while I was still a... Uh, um, University of Rochester? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was, you know, an hour and a half door to door. And so it was one of these... Uh, quote-unquote executive programs where you keep your, your day job and you go on campus once a week and do a boatload, I'm trying to keep my language so good here, a boatload of, uh, <laughs> uh, of, uh, um, of, you know, offline work and projects and study group and, and all that, and uh, got my MBA and then took on a succession of uh, healthcare management positions. And, and some of them I did, you know, a half-day week of clinical, but otherwise was a healthcare manager. And uh, first in Buffalo, then Atlanta, and then uh, New England, Boston, and uh, and. and, and uh, uh, Boston area in Rhode Island, and did that for a whole bunch of years. Uh, mostly VP, VP level kind of work with uh, hospitals and health plans. I had worked for uh, a health plan that uh, um, serves the poor, a Medicaid plan based in Cambridge that serves the state where I was the medical director, the CEO left, and I got the opportunity to be CEO of that plan. It's called Network Health, and that uh, did that for a half a dozen years. Uh, that met my uh, all my ambitions uh, about being a you know, rising healthcare mm. um, leader, and it was cool. It was population health for the poor, and still a real business. You know, good sized business, and yeah. uh, um, sort of the forerunner of Romney care, Obamacare kind of health plans. Um, and uh, in 2006, I left that to uh, do uh, animal protection work full time. Was my next transition. Yes. Yeah. So, so what what sparked that? What kind of took it from, you know, obviously you're vegan for ethical reasons at the time, but what how did it get to the point where it's like, uh, you know, I want to pursue this as a career and, and make it make a difference there? Yeah, I had. Um, so I was working for this uh, Medicaid plan for, you know, half dozen years. And uh, um, so it was a combination of what I was ready to leave and what I wanted to go towards. So, you know, again, I've got this professional ADD in six years. <laughs> is, uh, you know, I had put my stamp on this place and, you know, felt like I had done pretty, pretty well there and, and been helpful and, and uh, was looking for my next thing. And, uh, and by then I was, uh, was vegan, had, had networked with um, a number of uh, leaders in, in, the, in the states in uh, um, animal protection and, uh, you know, did a little bit of volunteer work with some animal protection organizations with uh, um, HSUS, the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine would be two that come to mind, small pieces, and, and uh, was really interested in... Uh, in, in doing animal protection work, really for cause, compassion, kinds of reasons. It was, you know, I had learned to be a, a, a decent manager uh, of organizations by then. And, uh, um, and so when I thought about what I had to offer, you know, I was, uh, was too old to go to vet school and, uh, <laughs> and too young to be uh, stuffing envelopes working in the gift shop, or at least I, you know, thought so. And, <laughs> and so I had to figure out what do I have, what do I, what's the, what's, what do I have to, that, you know, gets me into the animal world full time. And, uh, um, and, you know, brings along my skills. And so it was, you know, organizational management. Mm. And so I had done some networking, and I had uh, um, learned about uh, an organization which now is called the World Animal Protection. It was then called uh, WISPA, the World Society of Protection of Animals, based in London, uh, and, uh, um, you know, does uh, animal protection around the globe, uh, had a fairly sleepy uh, U.S. office, U.S. program, which was based in Boston, not mm -hmm. New York or D.C., and, and which was fortuitous because we were living in Boston and, and our son was young at the time. So, uh, um, so I had connected with them and they were looking for uh, uh, somebody who you know, was interested in the job and knew how to run things and maybe uh, 
rev things up a bit, and I was looking to do animal work. And uh, so we came together, and I, you know, I worked with them for a few years, and it was, uh, it was a nice gig, and I learned a lot about uh, uh, animal protection from an organizational point of view, not, not only uh, farm animal protection, but you know, yeah. lots, of, lots of wildlife and uh, working equine and uh, um, in developing countries, issues around uh, dogs and, and, and so on. And, uh, um, and I had learned a lot about you know, how charities work and how you raise money and uh, all those sorts of things. So uh, it, was, it was a good ride. Yeah. So could we briefly kind of dive into some of uh, like the, the things you guys focused on doing in terms of animal protection and, um, you know, and, and I know you're involved in farm sanctuaries now. Um, can, can you go into some details on that? Yeah, no, happy to. So, so World Animal Protection, I'll use their, their yeah. uh, current name. Um, and, and I don't want, I, I think if I were to summarize um, their mission and their energy, not from a formal point of view, but functionally, they uh, build a presence, raise money in developing, in developed countries, in uh, North America, uh, Australia, New Zealand, Europe, uh, and, uh, and, and mostly spend that money in developing countries. And also do some uh, campaigns that are global in nature, so say cetaceans, for example. I mean, if you're doing a campaign about whales, by, obviously by nature it's got to be global. Uh, did some work at the UN. So, so some global campaigns and some, uh, and a whole bunch of work, sanctuaries and otherwise, in developing countries. And so my job in the U.S. was to raise our presence in the U.S. and raise money um, and connect with other animal protection organizations. And so World Animal Protection really works in all the spheres of animal protection except not animals in laboratories, that being really a special, sophisticated yeah. area. So farm animals, uh, companion animals, uh, wildlife, uh, working equines. And, uh, uh, and so I would you know, be going around the states, you know, giving talks, meeting with other animal protection folks, raising money, uh, you know, those sorts of things. Yep, yep. And then, um, so is that the organi organization you're with now? No, no, no. So that so when, I left. Yeah, when, yeah. How do you get? So I was on the. Um, so and and so for me, the the in animal protection world, the two causes that have felt nearest and dearest to my heart are protecting farm animals and uh, um, and animals in laboratories. And uh, so at uh, farm animals, you know, in, in part because of the 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 amount of cruelty and. and from a utilitarian point of view, just the numbers of animals, you know, 98, 99% of all animals that are abused by humans are animals raised for food. And animals in laboratories, uh, I think in part because I, you know, I come from, uh, from medicine and saw some things and, and uh, early in my career did some things that I'm not proud of. And, 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 uh, um, and there's also something particularly compelling for me about MDs and PhDs, and, you know, folks that get a, a lot of status in society that... Uh, that do these uh, really, really awful, um, uh, tortuous sorts of things to, to helpless animals. And so those are the two areas that I've had the, the, the most personal interest in. And so, I, um, so in terms of farm animal protection, which is really, you could argue, has at least two broad ways of getting at. So one is to, uh, from a welfare point of view, to treat the animals that are raised for food um, in a less horrible way, and there's lots of ethical mm -hmm. discussion about <clears throat> welfare versus abolition and all that. And then there's having people eat less meat, eggs, and, uh, and dairy. And so I, I anyhow, when I, I got on the board, just simply a volunteer board member at Farm Sanctuary. Right. And, um, um, and a little further down the road, Farm Sanctuary needed a, uh, 
a new uh, executive director, and, and uh, I was actually part of the, the board search committee for the uh, next executive director. We couldn't find anybody over a bunch of months, really more than half a year, and some board members said to me, you know, you've run some stuff, and uh, maybe you think about this one. So mm. I, uh, so I, so it was a long story again, but I, I became the executive director at Farm Sanctuary, which was a really cool gig, and did that for several years, and it's a, it's a charity that run sanctuaries now now has four you know when i was there we had gone from two to three sanctuaries uh, watkins glen new york upstate new york uh, orland california which is uh, northern california um, farm sanctuary acquired uh, a third the farm animal sanctuary um, outside of la and and now has a uh, partnership um, with a, a fourth sanctuary in northern jersey which is founded by uh, tracy stewart and john stewart uh, people know john stewart from you know comedy central and his yeah. work and John, John married well, and his wife is a, is a farm animal uh, protection person. So, so that's all part of Farm Sanctuary. And, uh, so so yeah. there's somebody that might not know what you mean when you say um, farm sanctuary, um, animal sanctuary. What's, can you explain exactly what that is? Yeah, yeah, sorry. So, 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 pharma, so Farm Sanctuary is the first farm animal sanctuary in North America and maybe the world. It was founded in 1986 by, by um, Gene and Lori Baston, Gene Bauer now. Um, and it's come a long ways. Uh, Gene and Lori, their first fundraiser in, in the uh, mid '80s was selling uh, veggie hot dogs at, at Grateful Dead concerts. And, uh, <laughs> now it's uh, for a dollar, and uh, now it's you know a much larger enterprise, obviously. And so, so, and, and there are many, many farm animal sanctuaries in North America and elsewhere in the world now. And uh, so, farm animal sanctuaries, like any legitimate animal sanctuary, take in animals that have been suffering that can't go back to the state that they were in prior, and provide them uh, with lifetime care in a, um, in a, a safe um, environment that allows them to, as much as is possible, exhibit natural behaviors. Uh, given the numbers of animals that are raised for, uh, for food in North America and the world, um, uh, particularly farm animal sanctuaries, many of them also do lots of work educating the public um, about yeah. factory farming and about eating veg diets and, and, uh, uh, and about you know, advocacy on that subject as well, but, but their, their core mission is to take rescued farm animals and give them lifetime care, typically on the sanctuary, and sometimes they will uh, adopt, like any other sanctuary, will adopt those animals to, uh, um, to folks that have land and the ability and skill and compassion to care for them. Yeah. Um, so, um, and that's, that's where you are now, right? No, no, so I'm we're not still, there. We're so, still so, not so, there. Still, so I, I, I did that for a while, mm -hmm. left, left that. Um, um, went back to academic medicine for a few years. Went okay. back to uh, University of Buffalo, where I was the uh, somewhat more of an elder statesman, the uh, the vice chair for uh, um, clinical affairs, the vice chair for clinical mm -hmm. work uh, for about a hundred physician group uh, in pediatrics. Of course, uh, back in Buffalo was sort of my home my home base. Went back to medicine one more time, and you know did uh, some teaching, a little little bit of clinical work. Uh, enjoyed the teaching and the mentoring of students and residents, and and so on, and. Uh, and was really the uh, sort of the business leader for um, uh, medical practice for these university uh, docs, and and so so that now we're sort of penultimate. So who knows where I go next? But so but now <laughs> the last uh, last couple of years, I, I'm at a place in life where I'm you know, doing I'm doing pro bono work, and and so I'm my um, my two formal attachment points are on board chair. And those are uh, pretty engaged with volunteer positions, uh, you know, uncompensated with two animal charities. And both of these animal charities, um, their, their mission is to 
support other animal charities. So one is the Global Federation of Animal Sanctuaries, where I'm president and board chair. Um, there's a staff executive director who's the day-to-day -day leader. And, and, um, uh, and GFAS, the Global Federation of Animal Sanctuaries, accredits and capacity builds for animal sanctuaries around the world, in North America and around the world. And so that's a, a vantage point to allow me to you know, provide some support and hopefully you know, insight around how sanctuaries can be um, even more sustainable and, uh, um, and as effective as they can be. And, uh, and, uh, and that's, an, that, uh, GFAST is now in its 10th year and uh, it's already put a mark uh, you know, on things. The, uh, the other uh, animal organization that I also am the board chair of is, uh, is new, it's about 18 months old, and it's called Animal Defense Partnership. And it provides uh, principal legal, pro bono legal services to animal protection charities because it's mostly legal work. Right now we're only doing uh, our work in the states because obviously the laws are different in different states. It was founded by, uh, by two experienced lawyers, David Ebert and Joel Litvin, who um, um, you know, are, are, uh, you know, are, are both committed animal people and veg people and want to give back as well. And so I work with them and with the charities we help um, as well, and so we do some other pro bono uh, professional legal support for animal charities. Most of it is uh, professional uh, you know, finance and strategy and that sort of stuff, but mostly it's pro bono legal work for uh, animal charities. So those are my, uh, so, so both of those purchases uh, allow me to work with other uh, charities because both of those charities, their mission is to help other animal charities. And what I'm kind of scratching the surface on now, and, and Hopefully soon we'll dive in deep. Is I'm really interested in in building a space around uh, um, plant-based diets and children. You know, mm. you know, given that I'm a pediatrician and all this animal uh, um, commitment and work in my my background, I, I'd like to. I mean, I know more about plant-based diets and kids than you know your average doc, but but really want to build a deep expertise and reach out to both uh, pediatricians and family docs and other physicians that care for children and. Uh, and also families that have, you know, um, children that are veg or are considering having their, their, their kids or for all the kids themselves, you know, eat uh, less meat or be veg. And so, uh, so I really want to uh, look at, at building um, maybe a charity, but building yeah. expertise around uh, um, plant-based diets in children. Yeah, so, that's, that's yeah. awesome. That's, uh, that's my girlfriend, uh, that's something she, you know, she's been vegan longer than I have. And, mm -hmm. When she sees, you know, parents that are feeding their kids milk and, you know, dairy and meat and all this, she just, uh, she just, it kills her, you know, it kills her inside. She knows it's just, you know, bad for their health. And um, so uh, I'll, I'll, I should link you two up because that's where she wants to kind of go in her yeah, career. Yeah, great. Well, let's, uh, food for let's kids. do it. Yeah, no, I'd love to talk um, to her. So let's, uh, yeah, let, let's make sure cool. that happens. So great. Cool. So can we get into that a little bit on the, sure, on the health sure. side of things? Um, as a, you know, doctor, yeah. uh, kind of all the health benefits and, and kind of what uh, the average person kind of isn't aware of and, and something I certainly wasn't aware of until three years ago in my life. Yeah, so, so there's, there's lots of evidence, and there are experts out there that will speak to this in, in you know, lots of academic papers that, in general, speak to uh, you know, plant-based diets are better for one's health than eating a whole bunch of animal fats. The, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a pragmatist, so, so, so on the one hand, you know, I became vegetarian than vegan for compassion reasons, for ethical reasons. Mm -hmm. and, 
eating a plant-based diet has has substantive, really enormous health benefits for us as well. You know, and and so, uh, um, but but I but I also like to be careful when I'm wearing my science hat. I I don't want to um, say you know everything plant-based is wonderful and everything that touches animal products from a health point of view yeah, yeah. Um, is horrible. Um, from an ethical point of view, for animals, it's clear that yeah. that's true. Yeah. From a health point of view, in general, plant-based diets are are healthier, and and you know certainly uh, Western diets, um, um, you know, for um, far and away the biggest killer remains uh, cardiovascular disease. You know, heart you know heart attacks, uh, other heart disease, strokes. Uh, um, also, type two diabetes is uh, is you know the last you know, 10, 15, 20 years has been rapidly, rapidly rising in the in the West, and uh, you know much of that is due to poor diets, uh, you know, and obesity, um, and for some cancers as well. There's uh, there's evidence that plant-based diets, um, you know, reduce the risks. Mm -hmm. So um, now you know now one can one can eat a unhealthy plant-based diet. So, but in general, plant-based diets, and one doesn't have to be sort of religiously perfect about everything's got to be you know whole food and you know if you eat a plant-based diet um, you're, you're you're likely to be much healthier than not um, you know like I said I'm, I, I, I you know because I come from a science background you know I and mean, I know some people that are vegan that have some chronic illnesses so it's not like you live forever yeah you know um, um, having said that in general it's much better for one's health I think one of the challenges in pediatrics and you know assuming I dive deeper into plant-based diets in kids, that pediatricians and the parents of children don't, most of the harm from eating animal fat and obesity, most of the harm is later in life. You know, 15-year-olds don't get heart attacks. Uh, although there is a fair amount of type 2 diabetes in, in adolescents now, which is, uh, back when I trained, that would be shocking. So, uh, so, so the, but, but it does add a lifetime burden. And so uh, plant-based diets are clearly better and there's a few nutrients one has to be, you know, careful and thoughtful about it. You know, yeah. when one eats a plant-based diet. And, so. the, and the thing with, you know, heart disease and a lot of these um, chronic diseases is it, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't happen overnight, right? It's a, it's right. a slow buildup throughout one's life. Absolutely. So, you know, what you eat as a child does affect you later in life. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's, you know, it's one of the, you know, there's studies done where, uh, you, know, uh, you know, folks, you know, Late teens, twenties, you know, die suddenly from trauma, um, and and you know, there'd be a post mortem. Say a soldier who you know unfortunately dies yeah. in war, and and you know, if there's an autopsy, people find arteriosclerotic plaques sometimes already in the coronary arteries. Right. And the reason why I mention that is because you know they died too young and they died for a different reason. Yeah, and, and they, one notices that this crap is already in the arteries. Right. So that which, a, which a speaks to the lifetime burden. Yeah, 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 right? yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. So. Especially on, on the kid front, right? I mean, we, we still, it's parents kind of face the, um, you know, decisions of what to feed their kids. And we still are told, you know, milk for strong bones and, and, and milk to grow up strong. And, um, you know, in, in certain foods that are animal-based that we need to grow up strong as kids. And, and a lot of parents, you know, still believe that, their kid needs dairy milk to, you know, grow up strong. Um, what what do you think we need to like to, to change that notion and kind of those built-in beliefs of we need dairy milk and we need protein and, and all these things? How can we how can we change that narrative um, and get parents knowing that you know they can 
thrive on plant-based milks and plant-based proteins and um, not only thrive, but, you know, potentially, um, I would certainly say, be much healthier. Yeah, no, definitely much healthier. Yeah, milk is the biggest, you know, crock, if you'll, you know, that, you know, around. I mean, there's, you know, if you think about it, people also talk about this sort of thing from an evolutionary point of view. Hmm. So, while, you know, lo lots of, of animals eat other animals, and it's a very complicated evolutionary discussion about humanity and eating animals. Woman doesn't need to eat animals, but, you know, there, there's a evolutionary history of that, at least. I, I mention that because there's no other species. Um, in the history of history, the history of, you know, of, uh, of uh, evolution that consumes the milk of another species, except right. for us. It's right. really pretty weird when you right. think about it. Right. It's just not there. And, and so it, you know, and even in point of fact, and, and I'll, I'll get more specific in a minute, but um, depending on one's ethnicity, um, you know, um, there, there are various percentages of folks, um, you know, by, by late childhood, teen years, that they're consuming milk you know, get diarrhea and bloating, uh, cow's milk, you know, because we don't, at that point in our lives, don't have the enzyme in our gut anymore to digest um, lactose, the, the, the milk sugar. Right. Because, like, we don't need it. So, you know, whether you believe in, you know, God or Darwin or some combination thereof, like it didn't evolve because we don't need it because it's weird to be consuming the, the milk of another species. So, um, and so there's really, you know, there's calcium from, you know, lots and lots of plant-based sources. It's not hard at all to get. You'd have to go out. You'd have to try really hard, and you still couldn't be successful right. to not get calcium. That's really just just false. And so the the, the milk industry, and it's not. It's an industry. You know, as you know. Um, um, but but I, you know you know the you know the the advertisements show these healthy, happy cows. You know, right out in some pasture, as opposed to um, cows that are in these horrible conditions that are. Tormented and, and never see the outdoors, and and and, uh, um, and so there's 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 nothing. So you know, so it's an industry. You know, it's milk is an industry. It's not these small family farmers anymore, and uh, and the industry has been dramatically successful with the help of the United States Department of Agriculture and the U.S. government. You know, in in getting the word out that you need to have milk to be healthy, and it's just wrong. And there's just you know, there are some other areas of of nutrition and, you know, we can get into discussion about uh, uh, protein and iron and B12 yeah. and, you yeah. know, and, and uh, you know, there's some nuance there. Uh, um, but uh, but around, around cow's milk, it's just BS. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Did yeah. I make myself clear? No. So, <laughs> sorry. Absolutely. So, yeah. No, no, that's great. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and when you step back and think about it, you're absolutely right. It's just, it's just weird that we, you know, you wouldn't drink... I mean, even as an adult, you don't drink human's milk. I mean, because you think it's gross, right? Right, right. But why right. would you drink a right. cow's milk? I mean, it right. just, it doesn't make sense. Right. It, you know, it's obviously for yeah. a baby calf to grow up, and yeah. we don't need it. And in, in, in most cases, I, I believe it's detrimental to your health. Uh, but, yeah, I would love to get into uh, the B12 and the protein. So l let's kind of go down the sort of deficiencies, right? People are always, when it comes to plant-based diets, people are always talking calcium, protein, B12, iron, um, even omega-3s to an extent. But can we kind of get into some of that from a health perspective? Yeah, I'm happy to talk about that, and, and yeah. I'll, I'll try to put in a little bit more on the, the pediatric side. And so, so yeah. maybe starting with the easy stuff first. Well, milk is maybe the easiest, but protein. You know, that's also, um, you know, when we get to B12 and iron, especially in children and, and, and women of child-rearing age, there's some nuance. Mm. Protein is... You, it's in pot, if you eat enough calories, 
in, in, in the West, in any well-off country where, where people aren't in general, except for some sad situations, or somebody with a chronic illness, but, but other people are otherwise healthy, eating enough calories, um, you can't become protein deficient. It's, right. And so, you know, I still from physician colleagues, you know, who I, who I have great respect for, every once in a while, you know, get this, uh, you know, where do you get your protein from? So, you know, if you say to, and this is a conversation easier to have with physicians that care for adults than kids, because with kids you don't see the, the, um, uh, the bad effects as, as quickly, but uh, so if you ask a, a physician that cares for adults, so how many patients have you ever cared for that have protein deficiency? And the answer is always zero, except for there's a few liver and GI and kidney wasting disease, but except for you yeah, know, yeah, chronic yeah. illnesses. It just doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. Yeah. It exists. It only exists in catastrophic environments, you know, countries that, have, that are under famine or you know, concentration camp environments or gulags or that sort of thing. People aren't getting enough calories. Um, then you also see those horrible pictures of babies with bloated bellies from protein deficiency. But it doesn't, you, you can't do it. Um, with enough calories. There's enough calories in plant-based uh, right. that's, uh, that's, that's a calorie that's a, issue. It has nothing a, to do with that's protein. That's a misnomer. Yeah. And, and, and so, and, you know, there's those same adult phys physicians caring for adults. So if you say, well, how many patients have you cared for with, you know, diabetes, type 2, heart disease, stroke? You know, it's thousands. And so, you know, it's not a close call. So, hmm. so protein, this, where do you get your protein from is, is, is just a misnomer. Hmm. It, it really is. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, B12 and iron are worth talking about. And so, um, so, so B12, while there are some ways to get B12 through um, the, the biologic activity of some microorganisms, if one is on a, a vegan, you know, purely plant-based diet, right. B12 is on a pure plant-based diet, B12 can be a challenge. Right. And, you know, and so... Uh, and so, to, so, not to cut you off, yeah. but um, so people assume, you know, we need to eat meat because there's no other way to get B12, right? But I've been told that, you know, we used to get B12 from the soil, right? Yeah, yeah, from, yeah, yeah, yeah. From the, the plants grown in the soil. And I'll, I'll let you keep going. Yeah, no, no, that's exactly yeah. right. So, I mean, there was, you know, so that's true. And, and since, you know, all of our, or almost all of our food are, you know, going through various levels of, of production, you know, purification, yeah. whatever. Yeah. So, so there's less. So you can still get B12 without... Um, um, supplementation on a, a pure whole food plant-based diet, um, but, but given the change in the sources of, of most people in the West who have plant-based diets in their food, over a number of years, there's some risk of becoming B12 deficient, which can, you know, can over many, many years can cause anemia and sometimes some neurologic effects. So I, you know, and different people feel differently about this. You know, again, I'm, you know, except for not wanting to torture animals around diet, yeah. I'm, you know, a pragmatist. And so I just think the easiest thing to do, and it's not a sellout, and it's not a bad thing, yeah. is take a B12 supplement and don't yeah, think about it. Absolutely. You know, it's nothing. So, yeah. uh, so that's what I, you know, that's what I think makes sense. But yeah, but you can, you know, there are ways to get enough B12, and uh, you know, in the oldie timey days, like you said, from you know microorganisms in soil. But uh, it's it's um, it's it's challenging. It's not impossible, but it's hard yeah. nowadays. And so. You know, my, my whole view about encouraging folks to eat plant-based diets is let's have it be easy, not hard, yeah. and let's have it, you know, also taste good. Because yeah. um, that way, you know, instead of preaching to the choir, we expand the universe of compassion. So just take a B12 supplement is what yeah. I think makes sense. And on the, on the iron side, that's, a, that's another kind of big one people question. 
Yeah, iron is a, is a little harder to get deficient than on a plant-based diet. But, but so there's uh, uh, B12, like I said, is probably the single biggest one. I and mean, iron's a, a little harder. But, you know, there's, there's plenty of iron in lots of plant-based sources, particularly green leafy vegetables, mm -hmm. spinach and so on, and the sort of darker green. And um, so, but green leafy vegetables and also, you know, lentils, you know, beans and, and, and so on have, have iron. So you can get, um, get iron. There's also a, a number of scientific studies that show that the iron that comes from plant-based sources is absorbed better than the iron that comes, in a, in a right. human's GI tract, than the iron that comes from, um, from meat. Um, having said that, there's boatloads of iron in animal muscle, so when someone's eating meat, they're getting lots of iron. So, you know, that just is. Um, so in general, somebody on a plant-based diet gets plenty of iron. You know, for um, uh, probably two populations, so uh, children, particularly around kind of toddler age, early childhood age, um, and, um, and then, um, you know, women who either have had a number of pregnancies or, you know, have heavy menses, um, where there's, you know, lots, yeah. of, lots of iron loss, you know, on, that hand and and, and uh, you know toddlers eat very picky diets and so on so it's it's um, so you know I mean if you if and and an iron deficiency and anemia is a fairly common challenge you know in pediatrics not not the first year of life but second third year of life um, you know if you if you're raising you know little kids and they're eating plenty of plant-based uh, um, foods, you know, green leafy vegetables, that's great, but, you know, a lot of kids don't. Yeah, so exactly. similarly there, you know, like an iron supplement is innocuous and easy, so do it. Um, and it's not unreasonable to have your pediatrician or family doc, you know, they'll do it anyhow, but just check up, you know, a, you know, a blood count, a, you know, a hemoglobin hematocrit. And similarly for, uh, you know, again, uh, above my uh, age range, being a pediatrician, but for, uh, for women at, at a place where they're, you know, at risk of losing, um, lots of iron from menses and or, you know, of course, when, when one has, has a baby, um, the, the, the body is set up so the baby gets all the nutrients before the woman because that, that obviously makes good health in evolutionary sense. So those would be two particular populations where some attention to iron on a plant-based yeah. diet or really any diet, any diet as well makes sense, but particularly plant-based. Um, and that's, you know, that's really the omega-3, omega-6 discussion is complicated and messy and, you know, I don't think a huge issue around a, pediatrics yeah. Um, um, yeah. so you know so I you know I don't want to perseverate on the complexity of of uh, particular nutritional needs and plant-based diets and children and adults what I would say I suppose if I were to try to put a you know a wrap around it would be that you know plant-based diets are as we say in, in, in Boston wicked healthy um, <laughs> and, uh, uh, and and they're healthier than omnivorous and carnivorous diets, and the leading cause of, of death from illness in the West is heart disease um, and diabetes, and that for a couple of nutrients, um, particularly you know, iron and B12, um, particularly B12, um, some attention makes some sense, and the discussions about milk and, um, you know, um, and, and also about, uh, um, about protein is just a whole lot of hooey, you know? Mm. Yeah. So can we briefly get into, you know, um, your, your kind of training as a doctor and, and sort of the, the training that doctors go through today in terms of medical school? And um, I've had a couple uh, doctors on the podcast who have told me, you know, they, they had one class over their kind of 
eight years in medical school on nutrition. And nutrition, I would argue, is really a doctor's, you know, could be their, their most effective tool at, you know, treating somebody or, or curing an issue. Um, and, and obviously we live in a time where you go to the doctor, you're told what's wrong, you know, you, you generally get prescribed something for that to manage what you're going through versus, you know, changing diet and lifestyle, which can, which can actually treat it at the cause and kind of solve the issue versus just treating the symptoms your whole life and kind of living in that cycle. And, um, it, it just seems from, uh, someone being outside of, uh, kind of the medical space that, um, you know, we just treat symptoms versus, you know, actually addressing, you know, the issue at, at, at its core, which is in 95% of cases, uh, diet and lifestyle. Yeah, you know, diet and lifestyle are, are, are huge, absolutely huge, uh, um, um, you know, both for uh, prevention and for, for treatment. So, you know, when I was in medical school, uh, uh, I mean, there was, there was nothing on nutrition. When I, when I talked to... Uh, uh, you know, physicians involved in medical education. And I was, you know, recently, uh, you know, back in the University of Buffalo, a medical school, uh, talking with, with folks that would, you know, lecture students and, and talking to students as well and um, other colleagues. That, that really hasn't changed. Maybe it's gone from being um, nothing to, to minimal. So yeah. I suppose, so I I suppose that's had, progress, but not, not much progress. Yeah, I just had and someone so. on who is in their residency now who went through um, school at Harvard. And he said, uh, Harvard Medical School, he said he had one class over the course of however many years, you know, five, six years um, on nutrition. And it was all about, you know, adequate protein yeah. <laughs> with the majority of that's, the course, he said. That's you really know? pretty funny. So, um, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's I, my, my own bias would be, my own project, uh, perspective would be, what I would like to see would be, so right now there's just about nothing. And mm. so the more things change, the more they stay the same. That's a shame. Um, again, Neil Bernard's Organization Physicians Committee for Responsible mm. Medicine has done good work here. Publishes a book every few years, uh, uh, engages with medical schools, uh, tries to get the word out. Uh, also has a medical practice in D.C. that focuses in significant part on nutrition. And so they're doing great work, but, but that's obviously got to have spread and scalability. And, yeah. and they're, they're doing really, really good work there. Um, the um, my, my, if, if I could. Uh, you know, encourage change. It, it wouldn't be to have a nutrition class in medical school. That would be a good thing. Instead, it would be to embed nutrition in, in all or many of the classes. So when, when one is doing, a, um, um, you know, cardiac pathophysiology or one is learning about diabetes or whatever that, so one, one is uh, uh, in those classes, one is having nutrition embedded in that. So it's not like, okay, you know, folks, here's the nutrition day or the nutrition month. That, that almost kind of spotlights it in a way that um, gets it treated like a second-class citizen subject. Mm, mm. Um, that'd be my preference. You know, in the here and now, um, since physicians in general are uncomfortable talking about nutrition, even the physicians that, that want to engage more don't feel they have the expertise. We should keep in mind that there's a profession, you know, dietitians who are highly skilled in this regard, and there's some movement towards, you know, the American Dietary Association now speaks to plant-based diets as being fully healthy. So that's, and that's really major progress and a really good thing. And dietitians are skilled at this. Um, um, I think physicians also don't get compensated much for talking about nutrition, mm. which matters. Um, I, so so another, another tool, and this is just me being philosophical, would be, so in pediatrics, to give a different example, there's 
been an enormous increase in mental health, mental health disease in children and adolescents. So on the one hand, pediatricians are getting better at uh, diagnosing and treating. On the other hand, many mid-sized and large pediatric practices now have, as part of their practice, mental health professionals that are embedded in their practice or share office space. Yeah. And um, it, so that the, the, the pediatrician or family doc who may have a somewhat increased skill set but maybe doesn't have the time or the highest level of skills to deal with all these problems can say, go down a hallway and see my colleague. She'll help you out or he'll help you out. Yeah. Um, so I, I would think for you know, mid-sized and large primary care medical practices, embedding dietitians would be, would be wonderful. And, and then you get bi-directional learning as well amongst the professions. Um, so yeah. so that, those are just some of what, you know, if, if, if you know, I were able to have influence, which I don't on this score, but, but, um, um, but, but it's also true that if medical schools would spend more time on nutrition, aside from the, the physicians in training learning something about it, it would pass on the message that this is important, yeah. um, as opposed to this is like the extra you know, BS stuff. Um, um, so yeah, there's a there's a long way to go. There really is a long way to go. Yeah, and, and as you're talking, right, uh, just just me thinking, if you did teach it alongside each other, as you, as you said, right, I, I picture you going into the doctors and you have high blood pressure, right, and you should be given two options, right. Yeah, yeah, here's yeah. the here's the statin or the you yeah. know whatever drug for yeah, your high yeah, blood pressure. Yeah. Or you can try this for the next six weeks, this, this diet plan or this mostly plant-based plan. Uh, it's your call, right? We're, we'll give you the statin and you can continue on with your, you know, your normal lifestyle. Or there's this other option that your whole problem can potentially go away you know, if you stick with this for six weeks and, and kind of make this a new lifestyle. Um, or, or you can take the drug. But in most cases people aren't given that second option of changing the lifestyle. And, and I, me personally, having a story where I, you know, within six months, you know, issues I had my entire life from when I was three years old went yeah. away from allergies to asthma to you name it. In six months went away. I was never given the option my entire life. I was always given the pill. I was always given the cream. I was always given the EpiPen, right? Um, nobody ever informed me of the other side. And, and, that's kind of my whole, uh, why I'm doing what I'm doing now because I think people need to know there's this other way of doing it versus, you know, kind of what's the norm. Well, it's great what you're doing now, and it's also the fact that you're uh, that you're starting a, you know, a plant-based, uh, you know, restaurant and a restaurant pub, you know, and so <laughs> so bringing up, bringing plant-based food to to broader populations and and you know really good tasting plant-based food with a, with a, with a brew, um, for those that are so inclined is, uh, I mean, that changes the world as well. I mean, and, and maybe more so. I, and so I, you know, I, I think some physicians sometimes get beat up, you know, unnecessarily as well. Right. They, you know, there's sort of a lack of education there. There's, there's also a lack of, of comfort. I think a lot of physicians also, you know, it's easier to give somebody a pill, not just easier for the doc, but you know, while there's lots of, you know, you know, we used to say non-compliance in medicine. That's sort of an obnoxious word. Yeah. People talk about adherence now. You know, that patients frequently don't take their medications. But it's easier to give somebody a pill and, you know, take a pill once a day and they'll probably do it. Whereas changing one's diet, um, you know, given the complexity, you know, one has to go to some real energy. If one's family is in a different place, yeah. um, it's very hard. So, um, so physicians being pragmatists, you know, yeah. the, the pill is frequently easier. And for, for many, many folks, uh, dietary change would 
make dramatic difference and maybe make the whole difference, maybe help. For some diseases, you've got to take a pill. So I also don't want to make it sound like yeah, uh, yeah. You know, yeah, I'm a real yeah. physician. You know, everybody, you know, if you just eat a good diet, you don't have to ever see a pill. But, but for a whole bunch of diseases, um, and, and, you know, as a pediatrician, clearly on the preventative side, mm. um, you know, as well, can make a huge difference. And, and so uh, the, the, the medicine is, a, is a, a fairly conservative profession. And so, you know, change comes slowly. And, and, but when change comes, then it tends to have a tsunami sort of effect. And so maybe we're not quite at the height of that wave, but we're starting to climb up at some now. Yeah. And I'm guardly optimistic that the profession will start to move in this direction. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Cool. So. Cool. So to get away from uh, nutrition side a little bit and get, get back into animals, right? Yeah. Um, again, something, you know, I, I, from a personal standpoint, I started out kind of opposite of you. I was health, right? And I, yeah, yeah. as I just yeah. explained, in six months had all these drastic health changes and felt better than I ever had, you know, in my life. And, um, like I said, what pissed me off about it was I had to find it out on my own. You know, nobody, nobody ever yeah, told yeah, me yeah. That, that that was yeah. available. But on the animal front, too, you know, I had never even thought twice about it, right? I had never, I had never thought, it, it didn't take until a year being vegan when I kind of made the connection. And I don't know if it took me just kind of being in the vegan world and being open to hearing other people's views on veganism and things like that. Or if I had to get to a certain place, you know, with myself where, you know, I, I needed to love myself and first before I could love other creatures. I, I don't know what it was, but it took me, you know, a good eight months to a year after adopting a plant-based diet to, you know, become vegan, if you will, and, and, and kind of make the connection to the animals. And I, like most people, didn't grow up on a farm or in a very rural area, right? I never... You know, outside of a state fair once a summer, I never saw a cow or right, a pig right, or right. anything like that, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, so I never made the connection to my burger and, you know, a creature very similar to my dog or my cat, right? It, it was never there. Um, so in, in, there's plenty, I have plenty of friends that love their dog, you know, and eat steak and eat hamburgers and all that, and there's no thought, right? And I was very much like that as well. And... Um, so being in that world, um, now in doing, doing work in that space, what do you think, uh, you know, is missing in terms of having, having the average person make that connection, right? You see all the time people getting enraged over, you know, the rhino being shot in Africa or the, or the, you know, lion being shot in Africa or whatever, but those same people are eating you know, farm animals every day. And, and the connection just isn't there to the plate and, and the animal. Um, so can you speak on that a bit? Yeah, no, it's, it's in some ways simple, in some ways complicated. It's, I mean, certainly in, in, in highly developed countries, uh, starting with the, the U.S., but, but, but others as well, uh, the uh, animal ag industry, uh, um, you know, from, from the factory farms to retail, does all it can to separate in one's mind um, the... Uh, the animal that was tormented and then slaughtered in a factory farm or, or otherwise, usually a factory farm, to that, that shrink-wrapped, <laughs> you know, a piece of meat yeah. that's, you know, yeah. doesn't look like an animal at all in, in the supermarkets. So, um, so, so, you know, it's you know, psychology and sociology and, and family and culture will matter here, which is why it gets complicated. And, and so 
And from a psychology point of view, people talk about cognitive dissonance. So someone, you know, I'm a good person, I eat meat. Well, not me, but you know, but I'm a good person, I, I eat meat, eating meat must be okay. It's normal. Yeah. You know, that sort of thing. So there's that, there's family, you know, there's remembering the, you know, Thanksgiving or having brisket at grandma's house or, yeah. you know, whatever, whatever it is. And, and, um, um, and, and all those connections. And there's culture, you know, there's, uh, um, you know, everybody going out, you know, you know, you know, for a, a football game or whatever, uh, you know, and having a barbecue, you know, yeah. so, so it's so embedded in the culture. I mean, I do, I do think that, um, maybe 50, maybe a hundred years, maybe quicker, you know, that while I don't think the whole planet will be entirely vegan, mm. um, that people will look back and, uh, and say, how could we have, you know, the way that we look back now on, on some of the horrors of the 19th and 20th century and say, how could they have done that? Yeah. Uh, people will, uh, <clears throat> will look back and say, how could we, how could our species, how could we have done that? Um, so, you know, I, I also, so I think that it requires cultural change and that doesn't come from, there's the occasional person that if you put it in her or his face, um, they'll change. But most people, when you say to most people, you know, what you're doing sucks, it's horrible, you're a terrible person, like, okay, yeah, sure, I'm going to change what I'm doing. Yeah, not, yeah. Not, yeah. right? So, <laughs> yeah. so, it, it, so and I was proud when I was part of Farm Sanctuary, we did our own planning on this. We, uh, you know, two core parts of our, uh, our mission, our values, uh, was that we meet people where they are, we believe in incremental change. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so, you know, I think those are our important core values. Um, I think also that, that, you know, so identifying these issues for the public makes sense. Um, I think bringing it forward in a way that is easy, not hard, having change, you know, while on the one hand, the billions of animals that are tormented and killed every year, thinking about incremental change seems like accepting the horrors. That's the only kind of change. You know, all social movements, you know, change incrementally. And even, uh, you know, uh, and, and sometimes it gets dicey when one talks about um, human social movements because people get offended. Yeah, but, you know, yeah. even after the Civil War, it wasn't like, oh, we're done with this. And yeah. that was with a lot of human bloodshed. Right. So change comes incrementally. We need to have people change incrementally. We need to have uh, healthy, easily available plant-based foods uh, available to, to, to most people. And I also think that the, the changes in technology... So the fact that... Uh, so two other things I would comment on. There, while there's a minority of... Uh, of, of, of vegan plant-based advocates who get ticked off that some of the big, um, the, the huge multinational food consumer companies are now doing things like selling a lot of uh, almond milk and, 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 uh, yeah, right. and, and plant-based milk and so on. I think that's a really good thing, not a bad thing. Yeah, right. You know, the fact that like, you know, most supermarkets uh, in the States, you know, 20% plus of the shelf space for milk, that was quotes, um, <laughs> which you can't see, uh, are plant-based. That, and it's growing, Exponentially, that's mm. dramatic. It's wonderful. That's millions and millions of cows and calves not being tortured, and they have distribution channels. And then yeah. all of the technology now around um, uh, clean meat, you know, creating mm -hmm. meat, um, you know, um, um, without killing animals, and then the plant-based substitutes that taste like meat, um, that will have dramatic, dramatic change in people's diets. So, you know, having change be incremental, having people know of the horrors but not have it putting their face in the yeah. way they're offended. Yeah. Uh, Not know, telling them they're wrong, yeah. just showing yeah. them, yeah. you know, showing them, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, you know, one, one of my, uh, um, you know, great idols in this work, Melanie Joy, who uh, um, has, you know, written a number of books. Uh, you know, one of them is Why Do We, I think I have this right, Why Do We uh, Love Dogs, Eat Pigs and Wear Cows? 
Um, and she used to live in Cambridge, Mass. She now lives in uh, Berlin, where she's doing a, a lot of uh, plant-based work there. And so she speaks to this issue and speaks to cognitive dissonance and speaks to um, it's really society owns this for people. It's my analogy, it's kind of like the military-industrial complex. There's this huge complex of activity out there that's pervasive in people's lives about eating meat and dairy and eggs. And so we have to make it easy to get away from that. And if people be aware of the, the horrors, but not have somebody poked in the eye about what a terrible person they are, for me is the only way that change is, is going, to, uh, yeah. going to happen. Yeah, so, right, uh, right. We need to, to get where it needs to be, the average person needs to be able to sit down at a restaurant, and here's the burger, right? Here's kind of your, your animal burger, and here's the burger that, you know, is clean meat, and, you know, nothing had to die. It's better for your health. It's better for the environment, and it tastes just as good, maybe better. It's the same price, and give the person the choice, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. to me, that's what it needs to get to, to for most people to adopt it. No, it's really true, and right? so the technical, technological change will have great meaning. I, you know, another person that I have great respect for his work in terms of Changing Hearts and Minds is, is a fellow named Bruce Friedrich, who, who, who now is uh, you know, running a charity that is supporting um, more plant-based substitutes for meat and, and um, clean meat, meat that's created without the animals. And right. so he'll give a couple of examples like, you know, the main reason that we're not, uh, uh, except for Norway and Japan and some indigenous people, that we're not slaughtering whales anymore, it's not so much on the compassion side, it's horrible, horrible what happens, but it's, it's because of, uh, well, it's, it's, you know, without getting into an environmental discussion here in great depth, but <laughs> yeah. it's because of um, kerosene and fossil fuels. Yeah. People didn't need to kill whales anymore to light their houses. Yeah. Um, um, so, you know, th th that was the main reason. The same with, um, you know, the same with uh, why aren't there gazillions of horses being whipped and falling over in our streets and yeah, leaving cars you know it's cars <laughs> it's, it's henry ford and the internal combustion yeah. engine right so you know more than uh people were like sick of hurting horses so uh, so 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 you know cultural sociological technological change will change this and in the meanwhile knowing that plant-based foods are good for you not bad uh, having physicians and others feel that and believe that and engage with that um and people understanding the horrors, but, but acting in ways that fits their culture and fits their own interest will have greater change. Mm. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we're getting uh, a little lower on time, so I get a, a couple yeah. more for you. Shoot. And then we'll wrap it up. So to somebody listening that is kind of resonating with what we've been saying or is interested in more of a plant-based lifestyle or vegan lifestyle, um, I always like to ask people, what would you recommend the first step that person can take in, in sitting here, both of us being a believer in incremental change? Um, you know, what's the first step somebody can listening can take to, to kind of live more in alignment with kind of their, their, their morals and more in alignment with, uh, you know, more, more plant-based living? But just eat less meat so, yeah. so that um, while the, um, so for those people that, um, are becoming vegetarian and vegan, that's wonderful. Yeah. And for those people that are, you know, on a journey to improve their own health um, and to uh, be compassionate and also to uh, have the environment be damaged uh, much less as well, eat less meat. So that, that probably while the, uh, the way that cows raise for dairy on their calves and, and, and hens that lay eggs are amongst the most tormented um, in, in factory farming world, 
that's a relatively small number. It's huge numbers, but a relatively small number of the animals raised for meat. Mm -hmm. So eat less meat. And some people think, well, I'll stop eating red meat. I'll just eat chicken. Well, you're actually killing more animals when you eat chicken instead of beef. Um, so I think, you know, without getting into great complexity and nuance there, the, the, the single best thing to do is to eat less meat and then stop eating meat. And, and, and one doesn't have to have it become a religion. If it becomes part of one's culture and values, that's great. And, and, and if somebody, you know, is in a family or in a business environment otherwise where, you know, there's some meat products that are mixed in the food and you're eating 95% less meat or 80% less meat, well, you're making a huge difference and for your health as well. Um, so those of us that are, you know, closer to pure, nobody's a purist. Those of us that are closer to being purist, great. And if you can eat half as much meat, you know, 10% as much meat as you used to, that's the thing to do. Mm, mm. Um. Before the last one, I just want to thank you for, for coming by again and uh, kind of the work you do is amazing and, and this talk has been amazing. So thank you and, and I salute you for, for what you're doing and um, everything you have done. Well, that's, that's very generous and I, I've, I've enjoyed this. And I also would say, and, and when I worked at Farm Sanctuary, when, when folks that were working in the the plant-based food community would thank me and Farm Sanctuary for what we do. I would always say to them, like I'm saying to you, uh, you know, the single most important thing to do is to bring good tasting, easily accessible plant-based food to broader populations. So what you're doing and what you're you know, on the launch pad for is, is huge. So that's, that's where there's huge change. Thanks. So. Thank you. Uh, so this podcast is called Eat Green, Make Green. Okay. I believe that eating plant-based, living a vegan lifestyle puts me in the best position selfishly to, to succeed at whatever it is I strive for in my life. Um, and whatever my goal is at any particular time is how I kind of define the make green portion of that. So I would ask you, what, what does make green mean to you? Why do you ultimately live plant-based? Yeah, for, for me, it, it, all, it all started with compassion for animals. And, you know, I, when I was a little kid, I didn't always have the courage to step in. But when someone was, uh, um, you know, abusing a dog or little boys torturing a frog or whatever, it would always break my heart and I would wish that I could step in. So I always had that in me. And then as I got older and I learned uh, that, uh, um, that the way that we treat animals that are raised for food is, is beyond horrific, you know, I, I, I didn't want that to be part of my own um, you know, life choices anymore. Um, and oh, by the way, it has huge impact for like, my own health and people's health around me that I have some influence over. And it also feels good not to put that in my body on some spiritual level as well. Uh, for me, it all started from compassion for animals. Mm. Mm. Awesome. Where can uh, people, if they're inclined, reach out, shoot you a message, or are you on social media, or have a website, or anything like that? Yeah. So I'm, you know, wear all these hats now. I'm, you know, and I'm on Facebook, but so I'm there. But uh, I think probably the um, um, maybe the, uh, the the two easiest places to reach out to me. Um, um, would be um, the, the two organizations where I'm board chair. So um, Global Federation of Animal Sanctuaries, you can find me on the About Us on the uh, mm -hmm. website, and similarly, Animal Defense Partnership. And so, uh, so, so in, in my email address, it's relatively easy, although mouthful. So it's, for both of them, it's Alan, A-L-L-A-N, at sanctuaryfederation, one word, dot org, or Alan, A-L-L-A-N, at Animal Defense Partnership, one word, Org. Awesome. Thanks. Awesome. Yeah, I'll leave uh, links links in the in the notes. Sure. Uh, thanks again. Hey, this thank was you. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, Great. appreciate it. Sure.
For those that are interested in adopting a plant-based lifestyle, you're in luck. That's what I do. I work with men and women all over the world to adopt this lifestyle, to heal inflammation, to get off their medications and treat their health at the source, which is with diet and lifestyle. My program called Seven Weeks for the Rest of Your Life is designed to teach you exactly how to transition into a healthier lifestyle. And I give you all the tools, all the resources, everything you need to adopt this lifestyle and apply it to your life for years to come. For more information on my course, pop over to eatgreenmakegreen.com slash coaching. I'll see you guys on the next episode. Have a great week. <music>